It's February 3rd of this year, and Governor Kevin Stitt is at the podium of the State House Chamber, delivering his second State of the State address. The speech is peppered with pledges to make Oklahoma a top 10 state in health care, criminal justice, and education. The 40-minute speech halts every minute or so as lawmakers applaud, mostly along partisan lines, including when Stitt introduces a guest in the gallery. In the chamber, as my guests, are Miss Allegra Williams and her sixth and eighth grade sons, Chavis and Sincere. Miss Williams' sons were struggling in school, making all C's and D's, until she had the opportunity to enroll them in Crossover Preparatory Academy, a private all-boys school in North Tulsa. Miss Williams' and sons attend the school through a scholarship made possible because of donations from individuals and corporations who in turn receive a tax credit, which means the two boys attend the private school because, in a roundabout way, the state of Oklahoma paid their tuition. It's a program called the Oklahoma Equal Opportunity Education Scholarship, and Stitt was calling for its $5 million cap to be increased to $30 million. Chavis and Sincere were able to get the help they needed because of the Oklahoma Equal Opportunity Education Scholarship Act. Increasing the tax credit cap will provide additional incentives for donors, resulting in more public school grants and private school scholarships. Stitt wants a boost for the scholarship fund, and he may be able to offer one in the weeks to come. While at a press conference last week, providing an update on his response to the COVID-19 pandemic, I asked him how he might use nearly $40 million in federal education stimulus funds that he has control over he didn't have many ideas to share yet, but he did mention two, as he started his answer by referring to a phone call he had earlier in the week with U.S. Education Secretary Betsy DeVos. And Secretary DeVos uh, told, told me on the phone that, uh, number one, focus on uh, the, the, the kids. We're looking at uh, uh, equal opportunity scholarship funds to be able to backfill some of those. On this week's episode of Listen Frontier, we take a closer look at the Oklahoma Equal Opportunity Education Scholarship, Stitt's desire to increase funding for the program, and what it could mean for public education in Oklahoma. For The Frontier, I'm Ben Felder, and this is Listen Frontier, a podcast exploring the investigative journalism of the frontier and featuring conversations with those on the front lines of Oklahoma's most important stories. good chance that you found our podcast feed through the daily COVID-19 in Oklahoma episodes we had been producing for the past month. Earlier this week, we transitioned the coronavirus podcast to a weekly episode and restarted our Listen Frontier program, which may still include some coronavirus-related reporting, but will also explore other topics we're focused on here at the Frontier. COVID-19 in Oklahoma will be published each Monday, while Listen Frontier is back with its Friday drop. This is a challenging time for everyone. Oil field workers to restaurant servers, single mothers to nurses and doctors. It's also a challenging time for journalism, which is why we value your support. As a nonprofit, we rely on reader donations. And if that includes you, then thank you. Even your donation of five or $10 a month goes a long way in supporting our journalists across the state and the in-depth work we do. 
If you aren't familiar with our work, I'd invite you to visit readfrontier.org. We are heavily focused right now on the coronavirus pandemic in Oklahoma, but we are also investigating state government, education, and other important topics across our state. Just this week, we celebrated our five-year anniversary, and we could not have done this without you. Thank you. Rebecca Fine is an education analyst with the Oklahoma Policy Institute, an organization that has advocated for more transparency around the Opportunity Scholarship Program and to decrease the income requirements for students. I called her up earlier this week to get her take on the program. But first, I asked her to explain what the program is. So the Opportunity Scholarship Fund is a program that allows individuals or corporations to donate money um, to an organization that awards scholarships to kids to go to private schools. So um, the program is really tax credits in the form of 50% uh, and up to 75%. So an individual, let's say, could donate $500 um, to a scholarship for a kid to attend a private school and they could get uh, $250 back in the form of a tax credit. So really this is tax revenue that's going to private schools um, to help you know, students pay their tuition. I asked Rebecca why the Oklahoma Policy Institute is critical of the program, and we'll hear her answer in a little bit. But first, let's talk about school choice and where this issue falls within that debate. When someone says school choice, they could be talking about many different things. Essentially, it's the idea that families should be able to choose where their children attend school, and more often, that state tax dollars should support that effort, even if it takes a student to a non-traditional public school or a private school. The school choice umbrella covers charter schools and school vouchers, but even among those two issues are a plethora of other options. Charter schools can be backed by national corporations or so-called mom-and-pop charters that are locally managed. Then there are virtual charter schools that can accept students from across the state and are growing rapidly in Oklahoma. Vouchers often refer to allowing families to use some of the state funding for their child and put it towards private school tuition. In Oklahoma, a voucher program exists to allow students with special needs to attend a private school that may specialize in the type of treatment and educational environment they need. Typically, school choice is a partisan issue, at least here in Oklahoma. Republicans have been more supportive of school choice options, while Democrats have been more critical. But nationally, that hasn't always been the case. Even though school choice policies are largely supported by conservatives, they haven't always been embraced by Oklahoma's Republican legislature. That's because many Republican House and Senate members come from rural communities where the local public school is often the town's largest employer and a source of local pride. That's caused supporters to gradually expand voucher programs. Using state tax dollars for the tuition of special needs children was supported by even some Democrats. And each year, there is an effort to include more categories of students in that program. But by and large, the public school community 
is against school choice efforts, especially when it comes to using state funds for private school tuition. The Equal Opportunity Scholarship Program is promoted by supporters as a way to help low-income students access a better school. And there are definitely some schools that seem to provide that opportunity. I'm Kip Carter. Uh, I am the president of Cristo Rey Oklahoma City Catholic High School. And, and what is Cristo Rey? Sure. So we are uh, a two-year-old school in our second year. We have ninth and tenth graders, uh, about 180 students. We are a school specifically for low-income families, families that otherwise couldn't afford non-public education. I jokingly say, if you can afford to come, you can't come. Um, and we will refer you to McGinnis or Mount St. Mary's or, or, or other schools. Um, but uh, those those families that, that, that want something different uh, than their local public school, we are we are their option. And um, uh, you get not only a college prep education, but you get that experience of working in a professional environment. Um, my school is 80% Hispanic. Um, it is coincidentally also 80% Catholic, but you do not have to be Catholic to attend. Um, welcome students of all faiths. Um, English is a second language in about 64% of my students' homes. Uh, we estimate that probably no more than 10% of our students are living with an adult in the home with a college degree. So I very much am educating first-generation college-bound students. I think when people think about a private school, the image in their mind is probably not what you see every day. It's not. I mean, you say private school, and at least in Oklahoma City, people are going to think of Cassidy and Heritage and, you know, kids driving Range Rover first to school. Um, you know, my families are really great folks that just happen to be, you know, predominantly the working poor. You know, so I, I am educating, you know, kids that could, wouldn't go anywhere else. I mean, these are kids that otherwise would be at U.S. Grant or, or, or Southeast or um, Putnam City, um, and they see us as um, as an opportunity to get a better education. So your your students, you know, part of their tuition, so to speak, is paid through the, the work program. So that's obviously the, the experience they're getting, you know, is, is the benefit there, but also uh, you know, they're essentially earning some money to, to go towards part of that tuition. But the Opportunity Scholarship also plays a part. You know, how significant of that program is it for the students that attend? I will tell you, it's absolutely critical. Um, and uh, it's not a hyperbole. Uh, we had 378000 in Opportunity Scholarship funds this year. Uh, we are scheduled to receive, I believe, um, almost 325000 next year. All, all of the students qualify for it. Um, and so we spread it evenly among them, and I think I think it's about thirteen, fourteen hundred dollars a kid um, for their cost is coming from what we're getting from the opportunity scholarships. But the more I think every kid could qualify for up to I think it's sixty five hundred is is the max amount that a student could um, get from the scholarship. So I could I could access a lot more money if more money was available. I'm, I'm obviously a big supporter of raising the cap um, because it would it would allow more funding to follow my students, which would you know allow us to to 
operate stronger. The increased funding we could get, you know, helps me buy buses to take field trips and, and sporting events. It helps me buy technology and, you know, all, all the various needs that any other school has. I have those as well. You know, we, we talked earlier about, you know, the image that people have when they think of a private school. And, and obviously this opportunity scholarship, you know, it, it goes to dozens of schools across the state and, and you know, goes to some of these schools that people traditionally think of when they think of a private school. But there are schools like yours. There are schools, you know, there's a school in Oklahoma City that serves, you know, students that are uh, battling drug and alcohol addiction. There's a, there's a private mm-hmm. school for homeless students. So there obviously are a lot of these students, a lot of these schools, examples that are, that are kind of serving a an at-risk student population. So given that, do you feel like, as it stands right now, that the disbursement is, is equitable? I mean, do you feel like the Opportunity Scholarship is going where it needs to go the most? It's serving those students that need it the most? You know, I'm not an expert on this, and I don't know that I can I can adequately answer your question as, as somebody that, that, that knows the funding. But what I do know about it is it's absolutely going to the the demographic that it was intended to, uh, which are students that are of lower economic means um, and opportunity. But in my mind, that's precisely who it's serving. And uh, the more uh, that that cap could be raised or that those funds could be made available to other low-income families, the more that they would be able to come to schools like Crystal Ray or, or others. So I, you know, for, for, from what I know, Absolutely. I mean, of course, during this this uh, pandemic caused economic downturn. There are, there are so many examples of industries and businesses and organizations that seem like they're they're hanging on by a thread and are just trying to survive and make it through this period. There are those who are so are supportive of the scholarship program who say it's important to help our public schools continue, our private schools continue to operate to continue to survive. If for no other reason than a closure of the private school community would send a bunch of kids back into the public school system and then, you know, decrease the, the funding that goes per student. Um, how dire of a situation is it right now for, for private schools, you know, not just yourself, but others that are kind of serving this, this ask at risk population. Sure. I, and again, I can only speak to Christo Ray OKC. I, 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 I couldn't speak for others, but, um, as I mentioned earlier, all of our students work at these 58 companies, um, we are trying to recruit another 30 companies to join us for next year's class. Um, our kids aren't able to work now. Fortunately, almost all of the companies that that you know had invoices due for the rest of the year are going to go ahead and pay them and just view it as a charitable contribution. But I am terrified if we are still in this kind of lockdown mode uh, this summer and fall because. I need to have 300 kids that are able to have jobs at my corporate partners and working. But if those companies aren't aren't in their companies working, I, they're not going to hire my kids. So um, I'm having some economic hit right now. I mean, our fundraising is down the past uh, six weeks because people that might normally be sending me money are, are supporting frontline services, which is mm-hmm. fine and well and what they should do. But it's you know, the ripple effect is it's, it's hitting my, my fundraising and it's certainly hitting our corporate work sponsors. So, so, you know, it, it's, it's been a hit now. I'm really scared of this fall because our model is based on students being able to work in those professional environments. If, if those companies, if the banks can't have our, our students there because they're not open, I don't, I don't know what we're going to do. So, um, I don't know that. 
that, that's how I see it. And, and, um, and I guess I would also say to your question, and as people read about policy measures and how they impact things, you automatically and invariably will look at just the numbers. And that's human nature. It's fine. But I can tell you now that I'm working closely with my students, I mean, I see the idea of Crystal Ray were to close. I mean, that's that's 180 human lives. I mean, I know their names and their stories. And and the tragedy that I think it would be if if we weren't able to continue. And, and I'm sure every every school head would say that about their school because they you believe passionately in what you do. But um, you know, you ask me how does how does this economic situation and the, and the potential of, of some funding that could fill the gap, how does that affect your school? I mean, it's, I feel it very personally. We know that schools like Crystal Ray benefit from the scholarship program, but there are dozens of other private schools to benefit including many that have tuition greater than $10,000. Exactly how much of the program benefits low-income students is not exactly clear, especially when the average scholarship doesn't cover the entire amount of tuition. Here's Rebecca Fine of the Oklahoma Policy Institute discussing that issue. While they claim that the scholarships are going to low-income students, in fact, students who whose families make up to 300% of the federal poverty line are eligible for these scholarships. Um, so, you know, I think in the reports about 55% um, of the scholarships are going to um, low-income students, but, you know, that's also dependent on exactly how you're defining um, those low-income students. Um, yeah, so we're not sure exactly um, who's getting them um, beyond, you know, the percentage that's going to students based on income. Um, and the average um, award of the scholarship varies depending on, on the source, um, anywhere from $1,800 to just over $3,000. Um, but most private schools, you know, cost $10,000 and upwards per year. So for a low-income family, it's unclear how they're really able to make up those additional thousands of dollars that they would need to send their student um, to a private school. Other public school advocates have also pushed back on the idea of spending stimulus funds on the private school scholarship program. Following Governor Stitt's comments last week, the Oklahoma Parent Legislative Action Committee quickly denounced the idea of spending stimulus funds on private school tuition. Erin Brewer is a leader with the advocacy group, and she spoke with me over Skype this week about why her organization is against the idea. Well, actually, before his news conference, we actually started talking about what we thought he might do with this extra funding from um, the U.S. Department of Ed. And what we were really hoping is that he was going to be looking for um, ways that he could use those dollars that would impact the most students. So we were really disheartened um, in his initial comment that he said he would really like to use the money for private school tuition scholarships um, and then maybe some AP classes in some rural areas. 
Um, so we immediately began talking again that that didn't really seem reflective of what we felt most public school parents would be looking for, especially at a time when so many kids are really struggling to do distance learning for all kinds of reasons at home. Yeah. So, so what kind of needs are you hearing from other parents in terms of, you know, whether it's specific ideas of how this money could be used or just specific challenges that right now parents and schools are facing? Sure. So I'm hearing different things are happening in different districts. So for instance, in my own school district, our classrooms are not able to do a Zoom meeting with a teacher and an entire class of students because so many of our kids don't have connectivity at home. Um, you know, Deer Creek is a relatively high income area compared to other districts. So even in an area that's suburban and that you think of in a higher socioeconomic way, we struggle just to have internet access. So you can only imagine what it might be like in a rural community um, where broadband isn't available. Um, but then you hear from other parents that their kids struggle to feel connected to their teachers and their friends and that that loss is a really big deal. Um, you hear about kids struggling to feel motivated to get work done because there isn't someone with them all the time being in encouraging because parents are, are working at home too. So yeah. that's hard. Parents aren't equipped necessarily to be teachers. Um, so distance learning presents all kinds of challenges, but there are many ways I think that the state could, could help. Um, it's too bad, I think, and I'm hearing this from parents too, that our schools weren't able to be more prepared for this situation, but when you have um, had really low funding for a long time, it's hard for schools to be innovative and to do more than the basics. So while many districts, including my own, have wanted to offer online or blended learning, it's not something that they've had the capacity to do for a while, and they've managed to pivot and provide it in some way, um, but I think they'd all like to be better at it, and I think parents would love that too. And then there is the question of how exactly Stitt could use stimulus funds for the program. Would he give it to scholarship granting organizations directly or use it to offset state tax credits? I asked Rebecca at the Oklahoma Policy Institute how the funds could be used and if she was surprised to hear Stitt offer this idea. Yeah, it was really surprising for a couple reasons. One, um, this program only helps a very small number of students. So again, it's unclear exactly how many scholarships are awarded. Um, one source I found said about 2,500 scholarships. So this comes out to less than a half a percent of all Oklahoma school children. So right now, you know, kids are out of school and you would think that the governor would want to use this money to have the greatest impact on um, students across the state. And so it was very odd to think that he would be using this money that would help, you know, a half a percent of students. Um, it's also a bit confusing because the program is a tax credit program. It's not an appropriated um, program. So the, the legislature doesn't take a chunk of, of our tax revenue and say, okay, this is um, the money that we're going to use to fund the program. It's a program that, that functions based on individual and corporate donations than receiving a tax credit. So it's also unclear to me, he talked about backfilling yeah. the program, and I'm not sure how that would work because it doesn't get any state-appropriated dollars to begin with. While there isn't a lot of transparency around the program, if Stitt were to use the money on scholarship-granting organizations, they might have to report some additional details about where the scholarship is going. That's not entirely clear, but a reading of the guidelines around the stimulus funds indicate a requirement for detailed reporting. The guidelines also say 
the funds are to be used for, quote, emergency support for schools that have been significantly impacted by COVID-19. So the governor would need to spell out why this program warrants emergency funding. However, if Stitt chose to support the program by funding the tax credits, it is unclear what additional details will be recorded since the scholarship granting organization isn't directly receiving the funds. The nonprofit Excellent Ed, which is founded by former Florida governor and school choice advocate Jeb Bush, praised Stitt this week for his suggestion of using funds for private school tuition. The organization wrote in a recent blog post that, quote, if Governor Stitt decides to support the tax credit scholarship, he will be setting a precedent that other governors could follow to equitably care for students and families impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic. The Oklahoma Council of Public Affairs, which is a conservative think tank in Oklahoma City, has been a supporter of the scholarship program, and many of its past and current board members serve on the board of the Opportunity Scholarship Fund, which is the state's largest scholarship granting organization. The OCPA declined to make someone available for an interview, but they did point to schools like Crystal Ray and another private school that serves teenagers struggling with drug addiction as reasons to support the program. As of the recording of this podcast, Governor Stitt has not announced any decision about how he will spend his emergency stimulus funds. Officials around the governor have referred to his comments as a, quote, off-the-cuff comment, and that they should not be interpreted as an official endorsement of the scholarship program. Earlier this week, Secretary of State Michael Rogers, who is also Stitt's Secretary of Education, sent an email to House and Senate members addressing the governor's comments. In his email, he said, quote, In recent days, you may have seen media reports and commentary from the Oklahoma Education Association, the OSSBA, and others, presupposing how a portion of the governor's emergency education relief fund would be spent. Much of what has been reported lacks context. Secretary Rogers also wrote that no decisions have yet been made on how these $39.8 million in emergency discretionary funds will be spent. He said, we are evaluating numerous options to serve all Oklahoma students during these unprecedented times. That's going to do it for this week's episode of Listen Frontier. On Monday, we will have another episode of COVID-19 in Oklahoma, as the Frontier's Cassie McClung joins me to discuss the latest coronavirus news. That episode will appear in this podcast feed. For the Frontier, I'm Ben Felder. Thanks for listening. I'll be back with you next week.